Welcome to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotel. It is Monday, September 20th, 2021, and we are live. Hope everybody's doing well today. So we had a very uh, busy show on uh, Sunday. Our guest was Dr. Leonard Jeffries, one of my teachers. And he's featured in the film, Hapi, The Role of Economics in the Development of Civilization. So we'll talk some more about the uh, special screening and panel discussion of Hapi that's coming up at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History on Sunday, September 26th, 2021, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All right, so on today's show, uh, so yesterday we were going to talk about uh, part one, at least part one of the uh, new four-part documentary series from director Ken Burns that's airing on PBS uh, right now, Monday through Thursday, about Muhammad Ali. It's called Muhammad Ali, and it shows, it explores the many layers of Muhammad Ali, and it shows Ali like many of us have never seen him before. Uh, they reviewed 15,000 photographs. They reviewed, reviewed over 40 years of, of video footage, many, uh, a lot of the footage we've never seen before. And I saw part one, and it, it's a fantastic documentary. And most people that know me know I'm a big Muhammad Ali fan. Most, the majority of the documentaries on Muhammad Ali I've already seen. Uh, the, probably the best to me, the best uh, Ali documentary, at least before this one, is a six-hour Muhammad Ali documentary called uh, uh, I think it's the Ultimate Ali or something like that. I have to look at it again. I have it on DVD. It's on three DVDs. Okay, so this one is probably better than that one. This one is probably better than that one. Um, so, did you see part one yet? And have you seen part two? If so, you can give us a call. We wanted to talk about that. We, I, I wanted to talk about that uh, on Sunday's show, but we had Dr. Jeffries on for two hours. And I mean, you if you listen to the interview, you, you, Dr. J can go. That's, uh, I mean, <laughs> that brother, I think he's about 80 years, I think he's 80 years old now, I think he's 80. Dr. J can go. All right, so that's, that's all I can say. I mean, when I talk to Dr. Jeffries, and I asked him, how are you doing? I remember it was a few months ago. I called him and I asked him, how are you doing, Dr. J? It took him 15 minutes to answer the question. He started talking about Seiko Touré. He started talking about traveling to Africa, everything. I'm like, <laughs> so after, after about 15 minutes, I'm like, Dr. J, how are you doing? <laughs> That's how the conversation was last night. But it was, I mean, we dealt with a lot of history last night. And uh, people learned a lot. Okay, so <laughs> it's just interesting talking to Dr. J. I, I have to let him know ahead of time. Okay, look, we got to I have to let him know. Okay, this is not my blog talk radio show. Okay, we have to take a mandatory commercial break. Twenty minutes after the hour, we have to take a mandatory commercial break at fifty-seven uh, at three minutes before the hour. I have to let him know <laughs> the protocol. Okay. <laughs> All right. So if you saw um, if you saw part one or part two of uh, the Muhammad Ali documentary, 
uh, give us a call. Let us know what you thought about it. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number. 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. You can talk about part one or part two. Okay, just to give you just to give you a heads up, give you a spoiler alert on PBS's website. They got all four installments. I was watching it today. Part one. I recorded it, but I was watching part one today um, this evening after. Uh, so, I'm, you know, I, I enrolled in uh, Dr. Avis Jones, the Weavers. Uh, perfect was it's called perfect media pitch masterclass. So. You know, you see uh, Avis and I on uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered and Avis is on the Black News Channel. Also, she's been on uh, MSNBC, BET. She's a she's a um, uh, political scientist. Um, she she teaches uh, classes and leadership and everything. So I enrolled in her. Perfect media pitch masterclass. Because I want to take media to another level and actually get paid for what I do. Because I don't get paid for none of this stuff. I want to get paid for what I do. Uh, so class number one was today. It started at 7 p.m. So after I was in her class today, then I was watching, uh, going back, watching some of the Muhammad Ali documentary. Because it aired Sunday night. Uh, and it's actually two hours. It looks, looks like each installment is two hours. So this is like it's going to be eight hours of Muhammad Ali. So. Uh, this would probably be the best Muhammad Ali documentary of all time. Okay. <laughs> this would probably be the best Muhammad Ali documentary of all time. But that's why I was watching some of it again tonight and, um, of part one. And it's, and it's, it's just, it's just fantastic. The amount of history that they're putting together on Ali, but we'll talk, uh, about that. You can give us a call. Then also I was on Roland Martin unfiltered on Friday. Okay. So I was, uh, okay. So I was, uh, it was an Avis, uh, Dr. Avis's class today. And then, uh, I had to get ready for the show. Um, but on Roland Martin unfiltered on Friday, one of the topics we dealt with was out of North Carolina. Um, I did not see a lot of media coverage on this story. This is why African-American media is so important. North Carolina judges block voter ID law saying it discriminates against black people. They, they said this explicitly in this ruling. This was a superior court ruling. Now it wasn't the US, it wasn't the North Carolina State Supreme Court. Okay, they still have a ways to go to get up to that level. But this was a, a tremendous ruling. And uh, th this story broke shortly before we went on the air on Friday, shortly before uh, I went on Roland show on Friday and uh, Friday night when you get a chance to talk about it here. But uh, we're going to talk about this story today because this is a significant uh, story and it shows how in, uh, well, the GOP in general, Republicans in general, but specific, spe specifically in North Carolina, it shows the extent to uh that they went to to suppress the african-american vote okay uh this is an article from cnbc news cnbc.com cnbc uh from september 17th north carolina judges block voter id law saying it discriminates against black people okay so we'll, we'll discuss this as well and roland interviewed um reverend t anthony spearman 
who's the president of the North Carolina chapter of the NAACP. And I was on the panel on Friday and then um, on the panel, we discussed this uh, uh, court ruling. This is a, a significant ruling. Okay, so we'll talk about that. And then we know that um, the prosecution rested uh, today in the, in the R. Kelly trial. Now, we didn't talk about the R. Kelly trial Friday. We didn't talk about the R. Kelly trial Sunday. Okay, I had Dr. Lennon Jeffries on for two hours Sunday. So um, I said we would pick up on R. Kelly on, uh, on Monday. And, you know, when the new developments in the case, I'm gonna, we'll talk about, I don't, want, I'm, I don't wanna talk about R. Kelly, just talk about R. Kelly. There's new developments. So there they were new developments today because the prosecution rests. Uh, prosecutors in R. Kelly case rest after, after five weeks of searing testimony. Prosecutors in R. Kelly case rest after five weeks of searing testimony. And it's been, you know, horrific testimony. So there's some days that, you know, we don't, I don't even deal with it. I will just catch up on it the next day because I don't want to, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's some of this stuff I don't even want to deal with. Uh, but it's important to talk about it from the perspective of prevention. And you still have some people that say, oh, they're trying to bring a black man down, things like this. Now, the, I, I find that if, 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 if there are people who are complaining about the trial, they're usually not complaining about the, the majority of the complaints that I see are not about um we need to do more to protect African-American women and girls. A lot, a lot of this stuff is, oh, the women are lying. Oh, they're trying to bring a black man down, things like this, as opposed to saying we need to stop sexual assault, prevent sexual assault, molestation. We need to protect black women and girls, et cetera. And I said this before, if R. Kelly couldn't sing and dance, most of these people that were defending him would not be defending him. And if he didn't have money, I don't know how much money he still has, but if he did, if he didn't sing, I believe I can fly. He probably wishes he could fly now, but if he didn't sing, I believe I can fly and write that. If he, if R. Kelly couldn't sing and dance, the, the overwhelming majority of the people who are defending him now would not be defending him. Okay. So uh, we'll discuss that as well. All right. Uh, and then we'll give you an update on um, uh, the screening of Hapi this uh, Sunday. All right. On the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. So when you control the radius of a man or a woman's thoughts, you control the circumference of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. We do with a number of different topics here on the African History Network show. We do with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Be sure to sign up for our email newsletter. Text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828 to sign up for our email newsletter, text the word Kemet, K-E-M-E-T, the 22828, to sign up for our email newsletter. 
Also, uh, you can register for the new 10 week online course that I teach on uh, on Saturdays, uh, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. OK, next class is going to be uh, next class is going to be uh, Saturday, uh, September 25th, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time It's a 10 week online course that I teach. And we deal with history uh, after the Civil War ends through the Civil Rights Movement into the Black Power Movement. All right, we're coming up here on the break. You listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation Future Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701. Education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism means. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take us out. So when you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. 910. The Superstation, Detroit's only African-American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation of Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Monday, September 20th, 2021, and we are live. Okay, uh, call the numbers 313-778-7600, 313-778-7600. Is to call in number if you have a question or comment. Uh, so we're talking about the new documentary from uh, about Muhammad Ali from director Ken Burns, and it uh, started airing on PBS on Sunday, September nineteenth. So it was airing uh, part of the time that we were on the air here, and I watched the first hour before we started the show on Sunday with uh, Dr. Leonard Jeffries. And I was watching um, the rest of part one. I was watching that uh, after I got off the air last night and watching some of it today. 
going back watching watching some of it today. So it's a fantastic uh, documentary series. I can tell they I can tell they put a lot of work uh, into it. Um, so the the four part documentary series and it's about eight hours in length. It explores the many layers of Muhammad Ali, and they look at uh, footage that people have never seen before. They look at uh, they w- went through about fifteen thousand photos of uh, Muhammad Ali and Ali with family and different things like this. Um, the new series traces a path from the young Cassius Clay in uh, Jim Crow era Louisville, Kentucky, to the complicated at times self-contradictory adult who won the heavyweight title uh, three times and faced the U.S. government over his refusal to fight in Vietnam, okay, over his refusal to fight in Vietnam. Now, uh, on the show Friday, we talked about him winning his title back from um, Leon Spinks in 1978, also September 1978. Okay, to become the uh, only three-time heavyweight champion. And I'm looking at this as a big article from New York Times, uh, from New York Times uh, about this uh, documentary series. Okay, let's see here. So, okay, 313-778-7600 is the calling number. Let me look and see if we have any callers. All right. Okay, let me know if we have any callers, Shakita. All right, so if we look at this uh, article once again here from uh, from the New York Times. So the uh, filmmakers show Ali as not only a is not only a dominant heavyweight during his peak fighting years, uh, but also. Uh, a figure of no small impact on society, okay? Also a figure of no small impact uh, uh, on society. Here is the greatest uh, clowning with the Beatles standing at a podium with uh, Malcolm X. Um, Standing at a podium with Malcolm X, embracing the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., calling another black fighter and Uncle Tom, for refusing to acknowledge his name change as a as a uh, leering Howard Cosell tells the cameras to keep shooting uh, the ensuing scuffle and finally declaring publicly at uh, risk to his career and endorsements that he was a Muslim. And it, there's one point in, in the beginning of it when they're laying out the uh, when they're laying out the series and it's like the intro to the series. They um, have one clip of Ali, it has to be from the 70s, and he's talking about being able to be free to uh, become wealthy, make money, become wealthy, and still not change who he is and still be able to tell the truth, okay? Not change who he is and uh, still be able to tell the truth. All right. And that is uh, something extremely important. Now, he, he talked about not running away from his people, um, uh, still being able to uh, be himself, still being able to tell the truth, not selling out, etc. 
And, and this is one of the reasons why um, African-Americans uh, loved Ali so much. Well, now we had to keep in mind, there was a time when a lot of African-Americans did not love Ali when he became, when he joined the nation of Islam, we had a lot of African-Americans who didn't like him because of that. Okay. You're dealing with, I mean, you're dealing with a turbulent time, um, you know, in 64. And when he, you, you had some African-Americans who were rooting for Sonny Liston to beat him because they said he talked too much. They called him, you know, he called himself the Louisville lip, but they, they, they said he talked too much. Uh, he bragged too much. And you had a lot of people, especially white people, but you had some African-Americans that wanted Sonny Liston to beat them and shut them up. So, and then when rumors surfaced about uh, Malcolm X being at his training camp there in Miami when he's preparing for the uh, championship fight, that intensified things as well. So um, it's like when you're gone, a lot of these people who were against you when you were alive, all of a sudden love you. Okay. And then, you know, they talk about how in 1996 at the uh, Olympics there in Atlanta, when he's trembling, holding the uh, Olympic torch, um, a lot of people, especially a lot of white people who were against them years before, um, felt that he was safe. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that, he couldn't be as vocal and call out white supremacy like he used to be able to because he was being ravaged by Parkinson's disease. Now, his mind was still there, but his motor skills and being able to verbalize it weren't there. That wasn't the Ali that we all knew and grew up on. Let's go to the phone lines here. Let's go to Chuck line one. Chuck, welcome to the African History Network show. Tell us where you're calling from, Chuck. Do we have do we have Chuck on the on the on the air? Line one, you're on the air, Chuck. Go ahead. Do we lose Chuck or what? Come on, Shakita, come on the air. Tell me what's going on. I don't hear anything. Okay. All right. Okay, we lost Chuck. All right, 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you, have a, if you have a question or comment. 313-778-7600. You can call back, Chuck. Don't hang up. Call back. All right, 313-778-7600 is the call in number if you have a question or comment. All right. Um, let's see. Let me pull this back up here. Okay, let's. I'm, I'm going to go back to this article here from uh, the New York Times. So, let's see. All right. Just a second here. Let me look at this. So, Ali's rise to stardom coincided with a period of intense cultural change in the United States and his connection to the civil rights and anti-war movements is critical in distinguishing Muhammad Ali 
of the man from Muhammad Ali, the boxer, and in recognizing his impact on American audiences. Okay, you can't understand his refusal to be inducted into the uh, U.S. Army without understanding his faith, without understanding the meaning of Elijah Muhammad in his life. All right. Uh, we had not really uh, we had not really seen that explained. There were also perspectives that had not been heard. We thought who out there could tell us more about his faith. OK, this is what um, one of the producers of it, uh, 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 of the documentary, uh, David, David McMahon, husband of uh, Sarah. Uh, Sarah Burns, who's the daughter of Ken Burns. This is what they were saying when they're strategizing how to tell this story. All right. Okay. All right. So you can give us a call if you have a question or comment and uh, you can call back uh, tomorrow as well. Uh, I want to go to this next story here. So when I was on Roland Martin Unfiltered on uh, on Friday, Friday, September 17th. Um, we talked about this story out of North Carolina and the story had, had just broken and it was a ruling from the North Carolina Superior Court involving uh, voter suppression. Uh, North Carolina judges block voter ID law saying it discriminates against black people. Okay. North Carolina judges uh, block voter ID law saying it discriminates against black people. And with this, so there's a long history of uh, voter suppression in North Carolina. Um, if we look very quickly here at this article, then we're going to go to this clip from uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered. A panel of North Carolina judges in a split decision blocked the state's voter ID law, saying it discriminates against black people. The majority of the three judge panel said in its opinion that evidence shows the 2018 law was enacted in part for a discriminatory purpose, for a discriminatory purpose and would not have been enacted in its current form, but for its tendency to discriminate against African-American voters, okay? The majority of the three judge panel said in its opinion that evidence shows the 2018 law, quote, was enacted in part for a discriminatory purpose and would not have been enacted in its current form, but for its tendency to discriminate against African-American voters. Now, North Carolina's voter identification law was enacted in late 2018 when the state legislature overrode a veto by Governor Roy Cooper, who was a Democrat. So the, the state legislature passed a voter identification law in 2018 uh, and the Democratic governor vetoed the bill, I mean, vetoed the bill, and the state legislature overrode his veto. Okay, I, I want to go to this clip here.
here from uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered from Friday, September 17th. Roland is speaking with um, the president of the North Carolina chapter of the NAACP, Reverend T. Anthony Spearman. Let's go to this clip, please. Of the, of the lower court's decision. Uh, but it's hopefully going to be temporary because we, the trial court has to come back in place. And when they do their findings and facts and findings, I, I believe that we're going to be on the merits of the case we're going to win. Uh, just for folks to understand, uh, this right here uh, is the ruling of the courts. And this is what the majority writes. North Carolina has a long and undisputed history of enacting racial discriminatory voting laws. Uh, they said the sequence of events was marked by departures from normal legislative procedure. Uh, also, uh, that the voter ID constitutional amendment followed immediately after racial gerrymandered districts were ordered redrawn and departed from normal practices. Uh, the Republican supermajority departed sharply from normal procedure, uh, rushing to enact the bill during a lame duck session before it lost the ability to override Governor Cooper's veto. Uh, and then it goes on and on and on. Proposed amendments to SB824 that could have benefited African American voters were rejected. I mean, you know, these judges lay out. In fact, they also they also say it here: African Americans are more likely to lack qualifying ID than white voters. The burden, the burdens of obtaining qualifying ID, including free ID, fall more heavily on African American voters. I mean, these judges uh, lay out uh, a damning indictment of how white Republicans in North Carolina were doing all they can to screw over black voters in North Carolina. Most definitely. But we're going to continue to fight. And and I, I would give you an invitation, Roland, to bring your unfiltered self here to North Carolina when we go back into the courtroom in January of 2022. Uh, well, you know, uh, I've, I've been there a few times uh, on this issue, and so we got no problem uh, coming back. Uh, Reverend Spearman, it's always a pleasure. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Appreciate uh, being on. I want to bring uh, my panel out uh, in to discuss this, folks, uh, just so we can understand what's uh, going on here, because, again, it is uh, significant because it has ramifications across the country. Michael M. Hotep hosts the African History Network show. Raja Muhammad, radio and TV host, Kelly Bethea, a communication strategist. Glad to have all three of you here. Uh, the thing that really jumps out here, uh, Michael, is when, when, when you look at uh, this, this whole deal here, I mean, it is racially driven. Yes. Simple as that. Uh, and we've got all these black Republicans out here uh, taping for the GOP, not wanting right. to accept uh, what is reality. This right mm -hmm. here says all you need to say because they want it to stop black people from voting. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm reading the article here from uh, CNBC. And they, they, uh, the uh, Wake County Superior Court also said that the law, quote, would not have been enacted in its current form, but for its tendency to discriminate against African-American voters. So all these, not these Democrat or Republican, but all these black Republicans, Larry Elder, Candace Owens, all these black Republicans who would have turned in Harriet Tubman because Harriet Tubman was stealing the master's property. Mm. They, 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 have to, they have to explain this. You're talking about leaving the plantation, but some of these people would have turned in Harriet Tubman, like Larry Elder, who said that slave owners should get reparations because 
uh, if, they, if it was legal and, and they had to give up their property, he probably would have turned in Harriet Tubman. When you they go in to talk about the impact that poverty has. See, I'm trying to figure out, can this ruling be used to deal with other issues pertaining to the African-American community? It's the majority decision noted that because black people in North Carolina are, are, are more likely to live in poverty than white people, they thus are also more likely to, quote, face greater hurdles to acquiring photo ID, end quote, as a result of not having a car or being able to get time off from work to do so. This this ties into what they're doing, though they just the bill they just passed in Texas, which shuts down the drive-through uh, voting, but also uh, voting after hours as well. So I'm trying to see can this ruling be used to deal with some of these other laws as well? As um, to federal court, we're only on the federal side. Uh, yeah, the uh, you know, not not on the state side. Uh, this right. uh, in, 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 again. I go back to it, Kelly, for the people who sit here who love talking about and why y'all sitting here talking about voting, y'all why y'all talking about uh, voting for Democrats. If you had three Republican uh, judges, this is not how the ruling was going to go down. Exactly. And just to show how insidious and how important voting is, the governor originally vetoed this law from being enacted, and it was overridden in state legislature to be enacted anyway. So that means that even the governor agreed that this was unconstitutional, it shouldn't be on the books, it shouldn't be enacted whatsoever, but because of the hold that Republicans have in that state and in the legislature specifically, they were able to override even the governor's veto to keep that racist law going. Um, this is the same state that did gerrymandering with surgical precision in the last couple of years just to make sure, like you said, that another Obama would not be elected by uh, the electoral votes in that state. So it, it is, it, I'm happy to see that, you know, we got this ruling today, but like your uh, previous guest said, we have a long way to go because this is not the end all be all court regarding this matter. So we have to keep you know, putting pressure on state legislators in North Carolina and elsewhere who have laws like this on the books to make sure that they are overturned and eradicated altogether. The thing here, Faraji, uh, when um, we, we look at uh, this uh, ruling here, um, it what, what it clearly establishes um, is what happens uh, or what we're seeing happen with Republicans across this country, that when they have the power, they're going to wield that power uh, in a very clear way. And this is absolutely a result of black power. The, 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 the judges wrote this. This pattern has repeated itself at least three times during North Carolina's history. North Carolina Constitution of 1868 guaranteed every adult male citizen the right to cast a ballot in a free and fair election. From Reconstruction to the end of the 19th century, this resulted in increased African-American political participation. In response, Democrats implemented an amendment to the North Carolina Constitution that required passage of a literacy test and payment of a poll tax issues to register the votes. Then it says uh, the literacy test and poll tax resulted in the wholesale disenfranchisement of African-American North Carolinians 
and their removal from the political life of the state following the passage of the literacy test and extending through the enactment of the Voting Rights 1965, African Americans, despite the effect of Jim Crow policies, achieved some hard-won political successes as a result of persistent and determined efforts to mobilize residents of black communities to present themselves to the literacy test repeatedly in effect to challenge the literacy test. And then it goes on um, uh, in terms of exactly what uh, the uh, legislature did and how they uh, tried to do it. And this is all this year. Officials claim that these actions were needed to protect against voter fraud. In reality, they were designed to thwart growing black political power. Mm-hmm. Sounds familiar. Absolutely. Hey, hey Brother Rowan, I, I mean, I think that, that piece speaks volumes about what we're doing, what we're seeing right now. I mean, here we have a state that is going back and forth about the issue of, of, of black political power. And, and I think that, you know, this whole woman was based upon a 2015 analysis, um, which showed that, check out these numbers, the, the analysis found that 9.6% of black registered voters lacked acceptable ID for voting under a prior voter ID bill, as compared with 4.5% of white folk registered voters. So, so we're seeing that black people are once again put in the back. And the thing I, I think that we need to start having conversations about is now that the judges are pushing back on this voter ID bill, how do we at the same time um, empower our people to not get caught up in a situation where they don't have ID, you know, ID issues? Now, one of the big things is getting access to getting ID. That's the gap that as black people, as a, as a community, we can fill in the gaps. If somebody in North Carolina lives in a rural area of the state and they can't get to the city or any town, then how is there black transportation service that can provide that service to help fit, you know, uh, uh, to, to fill in the gap? I mean, we, 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 got, we have some reprieve here with this ruling, but now this is where the community can step up to help our brothers and sisters that way, our brothers and sisters aren't in a position to be waiting on some history God. We can be empowering one another. So here's, just understand this here. Let me go back. So this is what uh, the judges wrote. Shortly after the enactment of the Voting Rights Act to the present day, African-American representation in the General Assembly increased due to judicial intervention, including the decision to enforce the Voting Rights Act and force states to take down many of the barriers African-American voting that were erected in the 50s and 60s. These measures resulted in a dramatic increase in black political participation, including a 50% increase in black voter registration by 2010. But check this out. During this time, the state Republican Party continued to attempt to suppress black voter power. They mailed postcards to thousands of voters in heavily black precincts, warning recipients incorrectly that they would not be allowed to cast a ballot if they had moved within 30 days, and that if they attempted to vote, they would be subject to prosecution and imprisonment. Between 2000 and 2012, black voter registration in North Carolina increased by 51.1%. Black voter turnout. Listen to everybody who's watching. Listen. Black voter turnout increased from 41.9% in 2000 
to 71.5 percent in 2008. Come on, come on. And in 2008 and 2012 elections, black voters in North Carolina registered. God, thank you. Please stay on the good list. Stay, black voters, North Carolina registered at higher rates than whites for the first time in the state history. Come on. That's, that's see, that, that happened. That happened. The 2012 presidential election. No, 2008. No, no, no. It said 2008 and 2012. No, 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 no. It said between 2012 and 2012. But it was 2008. It was. Right. It was the Obama won. Remember, Obama wins in North Carolina by fourteen thousand one hundred votes. He right. lost North Carolina in two thousand twelve, but they were still scared to death of the numbers. Well, what, what I'm tying this to is what happened nationwide. Nationwide in the two thousand twelve presidential election, the, the the percentage turnout of African Americans registered to vote was greater than the percentage turnout of white people registered to vote. Mm-hmm. That scared the hell out of white people. That scared the hell out of Republicans. And what did they do? They came back and attacked us in the court with Shelby County versus Holder, 2013 Supreme Court case that gutted the voting rights act, gutted the, the preclearance, the oversight dealing with the voting rights act. And, and, and what this shows right here with this ruling, courts interpret law. See, this is why Republicans fought so hard to get 225 federal judges confirmed under dumbass Donald Trump. With Mitch McConnell in control of the, of the Senate after Mitch McConnell blocked 103 federal judge nominations by President Barack Obama. See, we have to understand see, we have to understand the role that the courts play also. It's not just the state legislature. That's important. It's not just the governor. It's courts interpret the law. That's what this is doing. Now, lastly, Roland, the, the uh, question I had, did they shut down DMVs? Department of Motor Vehicle Locations. No, uh, no. Okay, because that's what they did in Alabama. Yeah, no, 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 no. What they did is uh, they try, they use the power of the legislature. But the difference is they got stopped uh, with, with the lawsuits on the federal level and now on state level as well. So I see everybody understands. Y'all talk about and you sitting here talking about voting for Democrats, Republican judges. Republican legislators want to strip you of your right to vote. Now, this is real simple. Is them or the Dems? It's Republicans or Democrats. Y'all can sit here and play stupid all you want to. All I'm saying is this here. If I got to pick between one party that is deliberately trying to strip us from having the right to vote and one party that's not, who the hell you think I'm going to pick? Not only that, it's trying to block everything else that's beneficial to African-Americans. All these other bills, Republicans are voting against. When it came, when, it, when you look at the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan, that has $46.5 billion in rental assistance, assistance for renters and landlords, that savings that's keeping a lot of black people in their homes, who blocked that deal? No Republican in the House for the Senate voted for the bill. I'm neither Democrat nor Republican. I sure as hell ain't stupid. I can, well, I can look at the history, and I can see what's taking place. Now, there's some Democrats, they need to have their ass to vote out of office, too. I'll put that as well. But we have to understand that elections have consequences, and we're talking about self-preservation. And, I, and no one is sitting here saying, oh, Democrats are perfect. But I, but again, I'm t- y'all, 
The courts have shown Republicans in North Carolina, they specifically asked, when do black people vote early? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh, most exactly. of the first week, we're going to limit early voting to one location in each county right. for the first several weeks. Y'all, y'all play stupid. All y'all, some of y'all out there who watch, y'all be sending me these old dumbass tweets. <laughs> oh, man, you sitting here, you, you tap dancing for the Democrats. These fools ain't playing. Exactly. Right. They do not want to pass anything that benefits black people. Exactly. Nothing. Pause. Uh, pause it right there, Shakita. Pause it right there. Okay. Yeah, and, and, and many of them tried to overthrow the government January 6th also because they wanted to keep the trader in chief in office. Okay, read this article here. In the article, they have the link to the court ruling. It's like 211 pages. I'm going through reading the court ruling. There's a link here. I think it's this link right here, a split decision Friday. I think it's that link right there. Because when we when you go and look at the court ruling, page um, uh, point number 26, just very quickly, and then cue, cue up the uh, trailer to uh, Hop I I think that's clip number one. We're going to squeeze that in here in just a second. If you look at this court ruling, I'm on page 12 of 211 pages, point number 26. Following the passage of the literacy test and extending through the enactment of the Voting Rights Act of 1965, African-Americans, despite the effects of Jim Crow policies, achieve some hard-won political successes as the result of persistent and determined efforts to mobilize residents of black communities to present themselves to the uh, to present themselves to the literacy test repeatedly in effect to challenge the literacy test. As a result, by the mid 1950s, roughly one dozen uh, African-American officials were elected in North Carolina at the municipal and county level. Go through and read this because it takes you through. It, it goes through uh, implemented an amendment to North Carolina Constitution. And this is something that we've been talking about in my online class um, dealing with uh, the Civil War and the Civil Rights Movement. After Reconstruction ends, you have these states, these southern states changing their state constitutions, trying to suppress the African-American vote and legal and writing into their state constitutions, poll taxes, literacy tests, in some cases, property requirements saying that you have to own property to be able to vote different things like this okay so uh read this article and you can read the court ruling here uh let's go to clip one this is uh the trailer for the documentary hot p this is screening taking place uh september 26 3 p.m at the charles h Wright museum of african-american history let's go to this clip the nation as a whole, including its laws and its institutions. What you have is a tension between nationalism and globalism. They had to create something in the mind of the poor ones that distinguished them and separated them from the blacks. And that's where you develop what I call, the religion of whiteness. The police that answer to the politics of that community are going to be driven by the economics of that community because economics and politics overlap. You know why I wanted to be a politician in a time when we disenfranchised? Because of power. African Americans spent $1.3 trillion last year, making us the 60th wealthiest nation in the world. Why have we not turned those riches into wealth to develop our community? Samir Rice 
Sean Bell, Sandra Bland, Eric Garner, and Michael Brown, just to name a few. Something incorrect is classified their death as holy brutality. However, it is in fact murder and a form of terrorism is ironically very similar to what took place during chattel in place. What steps can we take to make it stop? The devil happy. <laughs> okay. So uh visit our website African History. Okay, kill it. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have information about the screening uh, right on the homepage. I'll be doing the, uh, I'll be moderating the panel discussion as well. It's taking place Sunday, September 26, 3 p.m. to 7 p.m. Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History. And while you're at our website as well, uh, register for the 10-week online course that I teach on Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power, 1865 to 1968. All right, uh, we do those classes live. All the sessions are recorded. Uh, the class is on sale right now, $70, regularly $130 is on sale for a very limited time only. Those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching. We're going to keep broadcasting for uh, a few more minutes. We'll uh, give a quick update on the uh, R. Kelly trial, the, the prosecution wrapped up today. We'll be back tomorrow. Right now, it's correct your own behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever, and we'll talk to you next time. Peace. All right, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show, through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Um, remember that you can listen to these shows in audio podcast format also uh, on iTunes, CastBox, FM Player, TuneIn, uh, Blog Talk Radio, uh, Stitcher, just search for the African History Network show, Okay. And at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, we has information for the for the radio show. We go up has information for the radio show right here. Click right here, listen to podcasts. Michael M. Hotep, it takes you to our blog talk radio page. And we have over a thousand um, audio podcasts there on uh, on Blog Talk Radio. But uh when I upload on the blog talk, they're automatically um, uploaded to nine different uh, audio podcast platforms that I know of. So I just uploaded this one here, uh, our interview Sunday with Dr. Leonard Jeffries. So that's in audio podcast format also. Okay. So I, I want to go to um, the R. Kelly trial quickly here. Uh, my girl, Candace Kelly, and who's on the Black News Channel, sometimes we're panelists co-panelist on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, she does uh, legal analysis on the Black News Channel. And she was talking, and, and today she was talking about the R. Kelly trial um, because uh, this morning when she was on uh, Start Your Day uh, on the Black News Channel, uh, it was expected that the prosecution would wrap up today. And they did later on the day, they wrapped up um, their... Uh, case against R. Kelly. Okay, I want to go to let's cue this up. Let's go to this. Uh, let's go to this clip here. Just a second. All right. So the prosecution is expected to rest its case today, and I know that an expert psychologist was called to the stand on Friday. And I guess if they're cross-examined today, 
what could happen and what stood out the most for you for Friday? Well, you know, I think for Friday, one of the things that we have to remember is that when you have an expert witness, you finally have a witness that is not necessarily or potentially not supposed to take one side or the next. A forensic psychologist is really supposed to say what, why the perpetrator did what they did, why the witnesses did what they did, you know, why they stayed, why they re waited so long to report. So these are questions that might be looming around for people who are part of the jury to try to figure out and just kind of get some glue as to the who's and the why's and what's really the psychology behind what's going on. So that's what really stood out for me is that finally they had an expert witness. As you said, we've heard about from 45 witnesses and, and nobody has been um, a, an expert witness in terms of getting to the psychology of the girls and of R. Kelly. So I think that it was just a, a good time and of course a great way to wrap up a case so that we can get an idea about, well, the why, the why behind everything from R. Kelly to the, those who claim that they were kidnapped and abused by him. And you know what, usually a forensic psychologist, in this case Don Hughes, pointed to the studies that show abusers often isolate and demean those that they think they can control. So it seems like her role here was very specific in this case very specific and it's very specific in terms of the timing that you want this last expert witness to come in and validate everything that you've said. You want the jury to leave from the prosecution side and feel like, you know what, this is a done deal. It's a wrap. I understand everything that's going on. Not only do I have witnesses, but I have a professional, so have someone who's been in their job for decades, studying research studies, validation, providing credibility that may not be so iffy. It, 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 it leaves us from this heat said she said realm just like some of the other experts that we've seen on the trial but now as i said we're getting into the minds of everybody to figure out you know well why do they do what they do so the prosecution just in terms of wrapping up their case this is a solid way for prosecution on any case to finally say uh you know it's done we've done what we need to do and here's an expert who also believes in our case well, since this expert, she's citing studies and facts and things about this case that are not partial to any side. What can the defense do to tear that apart, to pick that apart, to say it's not, I, I don't know, against their client? Yeah, so, you know, the defense is going to have a, a very short side in terms of presenting their witnesses, but they will also present experts. They're going to have their side of the case. They're going to have experts to talk about what the perpetrator was doing, alleged perpetrator was doing, what the young women, uh, the alleged victims were doing in this case and why they did what they did. So you always have or you often will have experts on both sides coming to testify. And then we're going to see what's going to happen on cross today in terms of the expert testimony of the prosecution. The other thing that the defense can do is they can bring the current girlfriend or girlfriends of R. Kelly to come and explain the situation and maybe say, you know what, I heard everything that was going on in this trial and, and, and maybe some of that was true, but here's what was going on behind the scenes. I not only know from experience, but I'm experiencing it now. I think that's the one thing that the defense can do to kind of bolster their case to say, R. Kelly may have had some weird rules and some weird ways of doing things and there might be some things morally that you don't like but here are some things that are going on that I don't think you understand because I'm in the middle of it now and the only person that can probably do that since we know R. Kelly is not taking the stand is a current girlfriend or girlfriends to come and speak on his behalf so we'll have to see if that happens. Well even if they do come and speak on his behalf is there a possibility that they can cross-examine those girlfriends and then say psychologically are they fit to testify or are they being controlled or coerced to say these things? 
absolutely you can have a psychologist come back on uh you know during their cross and and you know you can hear from the prosecution again try to make sense of why the girls are there and here's the truth too even though you might have somebody testify uh on his behalf and give supporting supporting witness testimony if they are a girlfriend for example it doesn't necessarily lend itself to someone say that they were you know given herpes and berated and bruised and raped and sexually assaulted and kidnapped and, and all these things that we hear or married at the age age of 15. So there's some things that obviously R. Kelly just is not going to be getting away with. However, there are, are some things that are kind of open for argument. And uh, a former girl, I'm sorry, girl, a current girlfriend is the one who can be in that position to provide uh, some background for R. Kelly to support his defense. Well, we also have to be clear that R. Kelly has denied all of these allegations and the defense is expected to take a shorter time, as you mentioned, presenting their case. So in that case, how long can we this take until we see a verdict. Well, you're right, Shannon. R. Kelly has said all along, I mean, throughout the decades, I did not do it. He's always maintained that he was innocent. I would expect that we're going to hear from witnesses for the, from the next few days. We might even get a verdict on Friday. However, judges normally like to give the, um, uh, the jury a rest sometimes, and maybe they might do that on Friday and have them come back and reconvene and kind of go right from a fresh start of the day to start their deliberations. But my latest would be Monday for a verdict, but it might possibly be Friday. All right. Thank you, Candace, for always giving us the best updates. We know you'll keep us posted. All right. So that was uh, this morning on Start Your Day Black News Channel, September 20th, 2021. That was uh, legal analyst Candace Kelly. Okay. Now, if we go to, um, I want to go to this piece here from the New York Times. Um, R. Kelly's defense opens as a singer's trial nears end. So the prosecution uh, rested their case today. The defense started their case. So a lot of it's maybe some people that don't like really follow trials. Some people may not have realized that even though uh, R. Kelly's defense team was doing cross-examination of some of the witnesses. Um, his team has not ha, has not presented their case yet. They just started today presenting their case once the prosecution rested. All right. So um, we still have not heard for all practical purposes, whatever is worth. We still we have not heard R. Kelly's defense actually presented yet. If there is a defense, we haven't heard it. <laughs> we haven't heard it uh, presented yet. Okay, so just we, we just have to keep that in mind. This is, and this is the same thing with the. Um, it was the same thing with the Derek Chauvin trial. Okay, um, in the killing of George Floyd, and I was on uh, Charlene Mitchell's show, Mind Mind Your Business, who come which uh, her show comes on on Thursdays here on 910 AM Superstation, WFDF. And she wanted me to come on, because I was dealing with the trial, Derek Chauvin every day on my show. And she wanted me to come on and talk to him about the trial. And I'm, I'm going out, laying out the trial and people who've testified already and experts who are going to testify. 
And this was a point that some of the co-panelists, some of the co-panelists that were on the show didn't seem to understand. Okay. Um, the defense had not presented their case yet with Derek Chauvin at the point when that interview took place. Uh, so some people were saying, oh, well, once we heard from this witness, that's all you need to hear. They should just stop the trial. No, the defense hasn't presented their case yet. <laughs> it's not, they're not just going to stop the trial. <laughs> this is like real, this is like a real courtroom. They don't, that stuff like that doesn't happen. Okay. This is not TV. All right. So, uh, I want to go to this article here. Uh, let's see, let's pull this up. Just a second. Everybody share this broadcast on your social media platforms also. All right. So if we look at this here from, uh, New York times, R Kelly's defense opens as singers trial nears its end. Uh, a former Chicago police officer said he had never seen R. Kelly with underage girls, but added that he, quote, wasn't checking IDs at the studio, end quote. He wasn't checking IDs at the studio. Now, we've had um, 11 accusers in this case. After five weeks, 11 accusers, nine women, two men. At first, um, the defense witness who took the stand in the trial of R. Kelly uh, who for years has faced accusations of sexual misconduct said on Monday that he had never seen the singer hanging around underage girls. Uh, let's see here now, but, uh, the witness Larry hood, H O O D a childhood friend of R Kelly and a former Chicago police officer then acknowledged, acknowledged that he had been present when R. Kelly first met R&B singer Aaliyah, whom R. Kelly is accused of having sex with when she was 13 or 14 years old. The defense's case began on Monday, September 20th, following five weeks of testimony that included 11 accusers, six of whom testified that they were underage when their sexual encounters with R. Kelly began. Now, prosecutors have sought to prove that the singer's public image as an alluring lyricist and charismatic performer served to disguise and enable a predator who enforced suffocating rules on the women in his orbit and doled out beatings when those rules were broken, doled out beatings when those rules were broken. Uh, women described being raped in prison, drugged, and forced to have an abortion by R. Kelly and the people under him. A male accuser who said uh, he had been groomed by R. Kelly since he was 17 years old testified that he had been brainwashed by the singer. And let me see here. I want to, let me look at something here. Just one second here. Uh, okay. All right, let's continue. Uh, do, okay. So, uh, Mr. Hood, who left the police force 
in good standing in 2017, despite having uh, pleaded guilty to forgery, said he had no reason to believe R. Kelly behaved inappropriately against women or girls. All right. And this is uh, the reporting from New York Times. Now, he said, as a police officer, I would have had to I would have had to take action against that. He said, quote, I never had to take any action. I was never made aware of any wrongdoing. But during cross-examination, cross-examination today uh, by the prosecution, uh, Mr. Hood described a world in which, in which R. Kelly surrounded himself with girls, including Aaliyah and a group of little Aaliyah's little hype girls, quote unquote, little Aaliyah's little hype girls, H-Y-P-E, little hype girls. One of them, a woman identified in court as Angela, told the jury last week that she began having sex with R. Kelly as a teenager and once saw him perform a sex act on Aaliyah around 1993, making Aaliyah the youngest girl whom R. Kelly is accused of sexually abusing. Uh, Mr. Hood, former police officer, said, I wasn't checking IDs at the studio. And he added that only later in life did he learn of his friend's wedding to the 15-year-old Aaliyah in August of 1994. All right, now, another defense witness, uh, Danny Ramanen, described himself as an aspiring singer who worked in the studio with R. Kelly on and off for 15 years. He described R. Kelly as a, as a, uh, as like a mentor, uh, to me and a good friend and said he had never witnessed R. Kelly verbally abuse or strike a woman nor prohibit her from eating or using the restroom all accusations made during the first five weeks of trial. He said, whenever we'd go to a restaurant, they'd sit down first, they'd order first, they got to eat first. He said of R. Kelly's girlfriends, he said, I mean chivalry, basically. Now, as the trial ends, Judge Ann M. Donnelly, Judge Ann, A-N-N, Ann M. Donnelly, says she expects the jury to begin deliberations by the end of the week, end of this, end of this week. Uh, R. Kelly's lawyers also offered a list of several additional witnesses they might call, including an investigator, an accountant, and friend of Geronda Pace, R. Kelly's first accuser at the trial. R. Kelly was not on the list of, 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 um, people that they would call as witnesses. Now, testifying in his own defense would represent a potentially perilous strategy, a potentially perilous strategy uh, for R. Kelly. After facing new legal scrutiny in 2019, R. Kelly lost his composure in, in a widely viewed interview with Gail King on CBS this morning, jumping out of his chair and pounding his chest on camera. Everybody saw that. That, that went viral. It's it tens of millions of times. Everybody saw that. During their cross-examination of witnesses, 
R. Kelly's defense team has focused on challenging the basis of the racketeering charge. So once again, R. Kelly's charged with one count of racketeering and eight counts of violating the Interstate Sex Trafficking Act, known as the Man Act. Okay, he's not on trial for rape or giving somebody herpes or anything. That's not what he's, not, that's not what he's on trial for. Um, those things play into the charges dealing with sex trafficking, et cetera, and uh, paying for um, women and girls to travel across state lines for the purposes of sex, et cetera. But he's not on trial for giving anybody herpes or he's not on trial for rape, okay? Just so people understand. Okay, so during their cross-examination of witnesses, R. Kelly's defense team has focused on challenging the basis of the racketeering charge itself, arguing that the prosecution's depiction of a vast illicit uh, organization is misguided in that the singer ran nothing more than a music business. Okay, that the singer ran nothing more than a music business. They also aimed to persuade jurors that his accusers had consensual sex with him and later fabricated their accounts of abuse and misconduct, homing in on minor changes in aspects of their stories over time and the willingness of some to interact with R. Kelly for years and the willingness of some to interact with R. Kelly for years. Now the defense will will aim uh, to advance the portrayal, presenting R. Kelly as a generous romantic partner who treated the women around him like family and was blindsided by their allegations. The image lies in stark contrast to the one painted during the government's case built around the accounts of five women. Uh, Geronda Pace, Stephanie, Faith, Sonia, and the woman who testified under a pseudonym. Okay, I think that was Angela. Now, Aaliyah, who died in the plane crash two decades ago, and her brief illegal marriage to R. Kelly in 1994 also lie at the heart of the government's case. The accusations would usually be too old to prosecute, but the racketeering charge allows the government more flexibility, okay? The racketeering charge allows the government more flexibility. Now, um, several witnesses have testified. Okay, let's back up here because they updated the story since I printed this up. Uh, set against the backdrop of the Me Too movement, the trial is the first time accusers have taken the stand against R. Kelly, despite a trail of accusations spanning decades. And in a critical moment for the movement, it is also the first time that a majority of the accusers have been black women in such a high profile case. That's 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 a huge difference. Okay. This is also the first time that the majority of accuser, accusers have been African-American women, okay, in such a high-profile case. And as, and as I said numerous times before on this show, 
The only reason why R. Kelly was able to get away with this for so long is because uh, the majority of the women and girls that he's accused of abusing were African-American women and girls. Because if these were white women and girls that he was accused of abusing, this would have stopped a long time ago. Okay, if he was outside of a high school talking to 15, 16, 17 year old white girls, this would have stopped. Um, <laughs> that would have lasted maybe a week. Something like that. Oh, that oh, that had been over very quickly. Okay. All right, let's uh let's see. Okay, so Don Don M. Hughes, D-A-W-N, Don M. Hughes, an expert in clinical and forensic psychology, who testified last week and on Monday as the prosecution's final witness, aimed to help jurors connect bits and pieces of the witness accounts with a broader understanding, with a broader understanding of the long-term impacts of abuse and how it can quote unquote jumble together the memories of accusers, making them act in ways that can later appear disingenuous. So this is something that Candace Kelly was talking about in her, um, uh, in her legal analysis on the black news channel. She was talking about the uh, clinical and forensic uh, psychology expert, Don M. Hughes. Now recalling the biblical story of David and Goliath, uh, Don M. Hughes said that speaking out against a celebrity like R. Kelly is made more difficult by his wealth of resources and a protective community insulating him from criticism and a protective community insulating him from from criticism, people wanted to his fan, some of his fans, not all of his fans, some of his fans. It's probably a minority of his fans, okay, but some of his fans going on social media, harassing accusers, etc. Uh, fans outside of the court, uh, berating uh, uh, possible accusers or what have you different things like this. Okay. Now that the community is at the center. Now that community is at the center of the case against R Kelly. Okay. So check this out here from New York times. We'll talk about this some more tomorrow. Um, new updates on the case. We'll talk about this tomorrow. R Kelly's defense opens as singers trial nears its end. Okay. This is from uh, New York times, September 20th, 2021. All right. Okay, look, hey, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App. Dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. We're here six days a week. Um, the socials keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting. This is our official cash app account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. When you go to it, it shows my name. It says Michael, and it shows my picture there. These other ones are fake African History Network cash app accounts. 
You can also support us through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Uh, you can still register for the new 10 week online course I teach on Saturdays uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. This is a 10 week online course. Uh, I did a broadcast on Sunday, because we, we had a special session of the class this past Sunday. Did a broadcast Sunday to give a brief preview and talk about some of the things we uh, talked about in class number one. We had a great class number two also, dealt with a lot of history, and um, we continued looking at history uh, leading up to the Civil War, and we started with the beginning of the Civil War, just trying to lay this foundation, because some people are coming to the class with different levels of understanding of history. But we talked about everything from uh, the Louisiana Purchase of 1803, to the Mexican-American War, 1846-1848, Texas becoming a state in the Union, 1845. Um, we talked about Manifest Destiny. Uh, we dealt with the uh, Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, Bleeding Kansas, 1855 to 1859, which was armed conflict between pro-slavery and anti-slavery groups in the territory of Kansas. Dealt with uh, uh, the Compromise of 1850, we also talked about, we talked about the Missouri Compromise of 1820, but the Compromise of 1850, which was, which was a result of the end of the, uh, Mex Mexican American War. And because of what's known as the Treaty of, Gua of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which is what ends the Mexican American War, uh, in 1848, the U.S. got the territory that makes up, um, Air, uh, Color, um, California, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, and Nevada. The U.S. got all that land from Mexico. Mexico loses a third of the territory as a result of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo of 1848. The, the U.S. is trying to organize this territory and determine, okay, which territories are going to have slavery, which are not. And you have the Compromise of 1850, which deals with a lot of that. And one of the, uh, the, the Compromise of 1850 consisted of five bills. One of those bills was the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which intensifies the abolitionist movement and it causes more runaway slaves to run into Canada as opposed to just going up north. So we dealt with all that history. We, we dealt uh, with um, uh, we started talking about Abraham Lincoln, how Lincoln was not an abolitionist. We started dealing with myths about Abraham Lincoln and we dealt with the beginning of the U.S. Civil War, April 12, 1861. OK, so as soon as you register, you can watch classes one and two. Uh, we do the sessions live. All the sessions are recorded. You can go watch them, uh, go back and watch them anytime. Even after the 10-week online course is over with, you can still watch the full course. Uh, click on register here on our website. And then on the next page, just click on enroll. Uh, the class is regularly $130. It's discounted to $70 right now for limited time only. As soon as you register, you can start watching the content. And uh, there's also six uh, bonus lectures for me as well. Okay. So that's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, look, we have to get out of here. Remember, at the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world. Because right now, it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. Uh, next class will be Saturday, September 25th, 12 noon uh, Eastern Standard Time. That'll be class number three. All right, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Black on Purpose Television Network. Yes. Black on Purpose Television Network. All black, all positive, all the time.
the largest black-owned streaming television network in the world. Bringing our people together worldwide. Controlling our messages, our stories, our way. Black TV the way it should be. Black music, black history, and more. 30-plus channels, thousands of shows. Black on Purpose Television Network, subscribe now. Gain knowledge in minutes from insightful summaries of progressive and socially conscious books. Blacklisted gives you access to curated content that'll satisfy your curiosity to learn and understand different perspectives. Empower yourself through inspirational and actionable ideas. It's easy to read or listen to on the go. Blacklisted. Empower yourself. Start your free trial today. Hi, I'm Joel Wilson, President and CEO of JCW Computer Consulting, LLC, a technology implementation firm with over 20 years of satisfying customers. We offer a full spectrum of industry top-tier branded services. We are an authorized partner or reseller for Lenovo, Zoom, T-Mobile, Microsoft 365, and Surface tablets, Google Workspace, Acer, Asus, Samsung, PCmatic security software, and many more. Our online store features laptops, Chromebooks, computers, printers, accessories, and software. Businesses, take advantage of our free one-hour Zoom tech consultation and know we offer top nationwide high-speed internet service providers, voice over IP, and cellular phone services. Home users, don't miss our current in-stock Chromebook inventory. Please visit us at jcwcc.com or call 215-879-6701.